Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes fils et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. In 1845, 19-year-old Israel Chavanel left his home in Canada and walked nearly 200 miles to Biddeford, Maine. He found work as a brickmaker and built a new life in a town being transformed by the Industrial Revolution. He is recognized as Biddeford's first permanent French-Canadian settler. In 2015, his 74-year-old great-great-grandson, Ray Chevenel, retraced the pioneering journey walking from Compton, Quebec to Biddeford. Ray's daughter, Tanya Chevenel, tells their stories in her first documentary film. An exploration of family, history and family, and how a journey into the unexpected inevitably leads to home. This is the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau, and we have a super unique episode uh, this week, which is going to be super exciting. Starting off with the fact that I'm not going to be running the show for this episode. Uh, there's a couple of areas uh, where Mike, and you guys know Mike, he's the one who produces behind the scenes for this entire project. Anything related to technology, anything related to social media, you know it's Mike calling the shots on that. But uh, Mike is going to be running this interview for the most part because there's a lot of areas where Mike has a lot more expertise than I do. Philosophy is absolutely one of them. Another one is film, without a doubt. And this time we're going to be talking about a super interesting documentary that we've actually alluded to a couple different times in a couple different interviews. And now we actually get the subjects that perform that doc, that produce that documentary. So, uh, Mike. Mike Campbell, take it all. Take it away, Mo. All right, thanks, Jesse. I'm Mike Campbell. Normally, like Jesse said, I'm behind the scenes working uh, the social media website, and I edit the shows together at the end. When we had Patrick on the first time, Patrick he, Lacroix. Patrick yes. Lacroix, sorry. He mentioned a documentary called The Home Road. He said it was about someone retracing their ancestors' steps from Quebec to Biddeford, Maine. Uh, I bought it, found the website, The Home Road. Uh, you could Google the home road, came up right away, ordered it, and then watched it, instantly contacted uh, the producer of it. And I'm lucky enough to have Tanya Chevenel, the director of it, and the star, th the star <laughs> of it, uh, and the star of the show, uh, Ray Chevenel, the walker, I think he's described on the website. So, uh, Tanya... And Ray, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to say we're, we're here recording this at the end of April of 2019. And I just want to say to you two, congratulations and thank you so much for your curiosity and for caring about this because these stories are so important and the platform that you're offering is wonderful. So just thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate that a lot. I mean, to be honest, it's funny. We were recording the episode with Patrick. Um, literally in the podcast studio, you, the DVD was on the way to Mike's house before the recording was even over. Um, and it's just been awesome. We've had the opportunity to connect with a bunch of people. Obviously, we talked to David Romet about it. Um, we talked to James Mayall about this project. So to be able to sit down and speak with you guys is super awesome. It was really fun for us. Excellent. 
And I'm so glad we could get both of you. We normally record sometimes in uh, Concord, New Hampshire, and in my basement occasionally. <laughs> but we're in Cape Elizabeth, Maine today, and so lucky to have both of you. Uh, before we get to the documentary, could we? Could you tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, your history? Sure. I, I'm 78 years old now. Uh, I, uh, I was about 10 years old when Dad told me uh, the story, and he... He referred to him as my great-grandfather. During the research, Tanya found out he's my great-great-grandfather. But I was enthralled from the beginning, and I said, I want to do that someday. Sure. So then I you know, went to, got started running and did, did well in high school, at Chevrolet High School in Portland, and got a track, full four-year track scholarship to Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. And then... Um, studied accounting, got got into the accounting field first in public accounting. And then a few years later, one of my clients offered me a job. And I said, I'm not looking for a job. And they said, just listen to what we have to say. And it was one of those offers I couldn't refuse. Gotcha. And uh, finally retired. I was 74 at the time. I had told Diane... I don't want to work after I'm 75, so I stopped in 74, and I've been retired ever since. Very cool. And Tanya? Sure. Well, I was born in Portland, Maine, and when I was t about two, my brother was coming along, and we moved here to Cape Elizabeth, so I have lived on Fowler Road or thereabouts almost my entire life, wow. and so this place really... <clears throat> My identity is tied very much to my surroundings here sure. and uh, my love of nature and wildlife and walking. And um, and then also as a child, I just, I loved historical fiction. So I had this interest in history, but it, you know, then you grow up and <laughs> <laughs> you, you move away for a while. And yeah. you do, sure. or I did. And um, so it was, it was, you know, well into I mean, I guess into my early 40s where my interest in history and interest in nature and interest in storytelling all came about and it was just so loud in my head that it really interrupted my life. And, and the idea of the story, I mean, the story that dad had heard when he was a kid and I had heard along the way, it was just in my head. And I remember the day, it was actually in January of 2009, that I was living part-time in Tennessee because I was a musician at the time. And um, I called him and said, you know, Dad, that story, I mean, we should do something. And so he went to the library and did some research, and we hatched this plan. <laughs> and then nothing happened for three and a half years because life was going on. Sure. Came back to it at the end of 2013 and uh, really dove into the story. And we committed to one another that we were going to retrace the steps of our ancestor. It's funny you say retrace the steps, because when I, I think retrace the steps, it's exactly what you were just saying. Libraries, you're going to the library, you're looking up newspapers, but that is not what this documentary is about. You are literally retracing the steps of your great-great-grandfather from Compton, Quebec yes, to Bitterford, Maine. He walked that's right. a little under 200 miles, I believe you said. Right. Yes. And you, you did that. That's right. At 74? Yes. So you mentioned that the, the story was always there through your childhood and yours. Was it just on the outskirts of your childhood, or was this talked about frequently? 
My father was very proud that the first Chevenel sure. in the United States of America was Israel, and he, you know, and he he walked in. It was even though it wasn't talked about a lot, it was a big deal in our family. And then when that article came out, uh, we've got a, the copy of. I've had that in my top drawer for 20, 30 years. And that's what I remember as a kid, you know, when you're exploring your parents' <laughs> private spaces <laughs> with looking your little for, brother. Looking for presents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it was, always the, it was always the coolest drawer, like, you know, like a deck of cards, money from another country. And, and this article was there always, you know, and I described it in the film as like a life bookmark. Sure. And one question that I had um, that I'm kind of curious about, um, a lot of what we talk about all the time is the French-Canadian identity. And so to have your ancestor be like the first in town, in a town that would become known for having a pretty substantial yes. French-Canadian population, uh, what was the role of the French-Canadian identity maybe in your life growing up in that? It, that's, Tonya covers that pretty well in the, in the home road. Dad's mother spoke French, preferred to speak French. Pepe yeah. did, he liked English, and, and so... They when they came to visit or we went down there to visit, you know they would jibber jabber in in French sure. and I didn't know what they were talking <laughs> about because I never really was uh, encouraged to learn French and it's that's because of my mother she's an O'Leary from Portsmouth, gotcha and very English and and Irish and so and she couldn't speak any French and so we we really opted toward English. So the, the, the French part of it to me is some of the values that Israel brought with them. And, and one of them is uh, what I call a, a generous stubbornness. <laughs> and uh, I like that. He, you know, he's a stubborn old guy, but he, <laughs> he, you know, he set his mind to things and he'd do it. And I feel that, that stubbornness in me. So I, I like that. So you had that article in your in your drawer when you were growing up. Did you think? Did you ever think I'm going to retrace his literally retrace his steps? Yes, I, I thought about that all the way. I, that was never in doubt. It was, it was just a question of when would I when would I do it? Now, Tanya, I wonder if there was a point where you you wanted to catalog your father's journey, and was there a point where it went from home movies to this? This is an important story that not just our family wants to hear, but the world should probably hear this story. You know, that's such a, that's an interesting question. It's, it's, my mind was just, how am I going to answer that? Um, because there are other voices in my head. It's the, there are voices of what do you think, who do you think you are? You've never made a film before. You don't have a budget. You don't really have much equipment. And, um, you know, you've got that chatter. And so, and even when I first started bouncing the idea of making a feature-length film, a documentary film, I heard from experts, oh, that's a nice home movie you have there. Sure. <laughs> and that, I, that would be really great for you to share with your family. I'm sure it would be very important to them. Also, because I have a little bit of a stubborn tr trait <laughs> and, and, and have a little bit of an independent spirit, <laughs> I was able to... <laughs> not listen to that and um tell a story so I actually never really thought about I was just telling a story and I tried to tell the story as authentically as possible and 
the arc of the trek is like the foundation of the story. And even though it's an arc of a trek that happened to a 74-year-old man in modern times with cell phones and traffic, we never didn't include Israel. I mean, it was always about what was Israel thinking? What was it like for this 19-year-old to leave home and to go somewhere he'd never been? He walked through snow. He walked through mud. He didn't know what he was going to get to. Um, He needed work. He needed to find some opportunity but what was the voice in his head saying right and was he speaking in french which we assumed but then we realized later on he probably did have some english that he arrived with in bedford so i mean it's really to me trying to answer your question it was just telling a story and then hoping maybe it would mean something to other people or they would see their own families in our story this was a time when uh, times were tough for the french in, in Quebec, they tended to be farmers and they were looking for ways to have a steadier income. Sure. And when Israel heard about it, he really was the beginning of an amazing migration. And that's the story that Tanya captured. Me walking 190 miles, you know, that's not much of a story, but the way that's, she, that's, that's a pretty good story. That's much of a story. <laughs> Don't. The way she wrote it, it's it's way beyond what I did or what I've accomplished. But I, so I was very proud of when I when I saw the film the first time. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was like a partly a biography of sure. me, but it was a story of the French migration. It was a story of standout members of my family, my Pepe, my my sister Livy. My father, my Uncle Ray, who uh, I'm named after. It's just, it's just a wonderful story that, that she, she found in her mind and in her heart. Well, you know, you guys have done a wonderful mm-hmm. job with your guests in, in getting at what is this Franco-Americanism and in your identity and, and, and things. And I feel like for so long I sort of was intimidated by that part of my heritage and what did it mean to be French Canadian because I didn't speak French. Right. Absolutely. And not only did yep. I not speak French, but I actually flunked it one semester <laughs> in college. Yeah. And that was the only F I ever gotten all through my schooling. And, you know, to flunk my native tongue sure. at 19 or 20 actually stuck, stuck with me. And I was intimidated even when I started making this movie by the fact that I didn't speak French. I learned over time that everybody's story is so different, and some of it has to do with the timing. Like, the French language in our family faded away a couple of generations before me yeah. because we our, our guy got here one of the earliest ones. Sure. So he was uh, we were already generations into being in America. So it's my story is different than maybe yours, where you might have French a little bit closer because I, people I, came... Yeah, I, my grandfather was born in Quebec. Oh, so wow. My, it was both my parents' first language, mm-hmm. so... I grew up around it. It was still very close to our family. But I absolutely identify with what you're suggesting. And the whole idea is um, you can lose the language, but the identity not be lost. Mm-hmm. It's something that we spend a lot of time talking about with a lot of our guests, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then also, I think another point that I heard on the podcast, I think um, it might have been with Susan, is the idea of cultural geography. Yeah. Which really is pretty interesting to me because as as... an ancestor of French Canadian, the fact that the homeland is right over your shoulder 
you didn't cross an ocean. I mean, Israel walked, but then you take a train or you drive. That relationship, it's almost like if you if you come if back, I'm trying to think back, but when you came here, he was back and forth. Right, that was fairly common then, right? Yeah. So I mean, not to put it in a weird metaphor, but like if you break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, but they're really close by and you can keep <laughs> talking to them. Sure. I mean, it's just your your um, relationship to a new place is right. different when Absolutely. the old place is accessible Absolutely. versus people who came over here by uh, by ship or you know. From greater distances it's almost like you're here I gotta just settle in here yeah so I really feel like just that geography and talking about that is really fascinating yeah I mean you're 100% right because and I think that contributes part to why uh, our story is not necessarily told as well as some of the others because I don't think it fits fits as neatly into the the narrative of the you know cross an ocean you arrive at Ellis Island and then all of a sudden XYZ happens you know like you mentioned, went back and forth across this land border for generations before finally settling in a lot of cases. So it is a super interesting story, for sure. Well, one of the reasons I people have often said or confused in the title of the film, you know, the, like The Road Home. Like people right. will often put it that way. And I really purposely didn't name it that because home sounds like a destination when it's sure. The Road Home. I don't. He was a young man who was trying to find work. He wasn't necessarily looking to find a new home or to live here permanently. Right, right, we right. don't know that. Yeah. He just needed work and he went for a very long walk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he found work and then he walked back to Canada and convinced his family to then in 1846 come to be here. But even then, he's back and forth for almost a decade. So yeah. what is home to him? I sure. don't know that. Where did he I consider his homeland? Right. I don't know. So to me, is the only place that you're really at home is in yourself, where you are right now, whatever mile marker you're at. Mm -hmm. um, it's your heart. It's your, your, your place, and it comes back to identity. And there's one other piece to that. Quebec is our French roots. Sure. And I was very interested in what did I see, what did I feel up there, and... Uh, the, you know, so what those values, which are, those are the values that, that Israel brought to Biddeford. People uh, cared about their neighbors. People cared about their homes, they, you know, their, their houses and their, the lawn. And the, it's all well cared for, uh, their, their participation in their society uh, and all the things that Israel did after he got to Biddeford. Uh, so it's... There's some really strong values, and that's I'm proud of that. The other, the other thing, retracing the steps, we almost literally did that because Tanya found an 1844 map, and it showed the highway. It was there, sure, coming down from Compton uh, into the very point where Vermont and New Hampshire intersect, yeah. and then. The, the highway was on the New Hampshire side of the Connecticut River. Highway, it's funny that you're calling it a highway. Well, dirt road. And not only that, but when he got to, to the mountains, the, the road down, the only road down through the mountains was the one through Crawford Notch. So it was built in 1823, 22 years before he sure. got there. 
That's why he went that way. Right. What's neat about it, from my perspective, is when you start in the north and go south, it's all downhill. <laughs> Which is something you don't think about unless you are on foot. I would imagine. And, and actually doing, experiencing yeah. the history that way. And in the film, you say it took, it took 17 months to prep the journey, and this was researching the, the trails. Did you drive a lot of the, yes. the roads? To... Well, we in the beginning... I was really concerned about, I've always been concerned about safety in the cars and trucks. Sure. So I thought if we took some roads that were, you know, back roads, so to speak, that that would be safer. Well, my goodness, there's no, there's no shoulder, that, you know, there's no bike lane for sure. Right. There weren't any, even any shoulders, and I realized very quickly I'd have to get off the road. I'd have to stop and get on the edge of the woods or the field to let some of these vehicles go by. And a lot, and a lot of the times you see they're just sharp turns where car, uh, yeah. trucks come out of nowhere. Tanya, multiple times, you're shown praying. Like, yes. As each, each, <laughs> and I'm not particularly religious, by the way. As each car passes episode. you by, <laughs> because you would you would go a, like a mile or two ahead to, yes. to scout out, go back, and... And tell your father what was in store, and then you would wait. Mm-hmm. And That's right. There are so many moments where I mean, it, I obviously I would default to being a daughter before a sure. documentarian. So my my first instinct would be to like worry, wonder. So and especially when his feet, as you, if you've seen the movie or if you yeah. ever see it, you'll mm-hmm. see the feet are a big part of the story. Um, you know, we weren't. A, I wasn't in the beginning. I was able to go further ahead. And actually set up some shots yeah. <laughs> and be planful. But as things got a little more dire um, between weather and just what was going on with pain and feet and, and weather, I mean, weather really played a big part of this story, sure. which would have in 1845 as well. But anyway, yeah. um, I couldn't go that far ahead anymore. And so truly, like when I'm praying, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I might remember to put the iPhone on, on because, oh yeah, I'm making a movie, but it was right. truly like you're... Your, your daughter first. Mm-hmm. And he's dad. <laughs> and <laughs> Not the star. <laughs> so you dad. start on the, the first day, you start getting a blister on, yeah. that, on one of your toes. That That's was what a, the foot problem that was. That was a mistake. I, I wore some uh, footwear that I hadn't totally broken in. I, and, but it was raining. You said you got rained the very first the day. Yeah. You know, Why so, would it be easy? It wasn't easy yeah, back yeah. then. So, so and the heck of it was we hadn't even uh, figured out how to communicate. So uh, she was this. She was going out farther, as she said, five, six, seven, eight, minute, nine miles ahead of me. And then, and she then she'd come back and see how I was doing. Well, um, she came back, but. She found a place to turn around about, it was a straight road, say a quarter of a mile. And so I'm doing this, meaning help, you know. Waving your arm she thinks I'm yeah. waving to her. <laughs> and she turns around and drives off again. I'll miss you too. And, you know, and so after that, this, we changed this to, 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 if I do this, I'm waving you back toward me, please. Come. <laughs> and communication issues. The second day oh, yeah. was just as smooth as the first day where you decide to take the car keys as I can only imagine would be a, as a prank. No. 
Come on, Mike. I love her too. I I didn't know I had the keys in my my jacket. But when so so Tanya's chasing behind you. It took you a while to realize. But when he rolls up in that truck, and when, oh, when you when you meet up, it's. It's so great. So, so just, you know, just the abbreviated version of the story was on day two, we wake up, mind you, it's June 1st, but overnight it was 32 degrees where we were staying. Uh, so <clears throat> mother nature again was really like an, an important character in the film. But, um, so we get up and he was like, I'm going to head to the border. I needed to clean up our little campsite area. Um, and before I met him, so I was going to follow him in the car meet him before he got to the border. So he takes off in the rain, I'm cleaning up, I go to leave and there's no car keys. And at that point, I don't know if they're hidden in the car, like, are we, did I lose them? Are they somewhere around here? And like, if you saw our car, it was packed to the gills. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know if maybe somewhere they were lost or did he have them? So I actually didn't even know that. There was nobody around. I literally ran almost a half mile the other way to find somebody. And for whatever reason, that, <laughs> that day, there were not a lot of cars going by. We were pretty, we were just a few miles from the, the U.S.-Canada border. It's still in Canada. So anyway, finally, I just, I actually left a note in the car if for some reason, I don't know, if someone came along. <laughs> and, um, and then I left, and then I just started running in the rain after him. And I was still running in the rain, and that was when there were lots of swear words being said <laughs> that I had to bleep out because I actually had the iPhone at one point just capturing that awesome moment. Yeah. And, and on my part, I, when I found the keys, uh, I, I, I had been walking three or four miles. Sure. And, and I said, I'm not going back. <laughs> so, and mind you, we should say, throughout much of the trek, there was no cell phone service. So when you uh, think in modern days, imagine. like, why didn't they just pick sure. up the phone? Then you haven't been in that area. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, so we really were forced into imagining what would Israel have done? Not that he had another person on the road with him. But it was a good exercise in... Uh, what do we do here? Sure. That in my, I think we forget how easy it is to um, get out of binds these days. That, that was one of the few times I wasn't a generous, stubborn old guy because <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to walk all the way back. And I, but but luckily the the Canadian border house was right about I could see it about a quarter of a mile in front of me, and I thought maybe. Somebody would give me a ride back because you know, four miles in a car is nothing, right? And <laughs> they all wouldn't leave their posts, you know, rightly so. Sure, but one of the fellows told me about this trucker coming in, and and anyway, so that, that part is history. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the movie, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you show photos throughout the film of scenes as you're going, and there was one photo that. That really caught my eye of a bear, like off in the distance, but it's not too far off in the distance. Oh, sure, it was did, that, to that wall. It was so, so 20 feet. did you take that photo? I no, was just yeah. John John Scully, the the second Trek Angel, friend of my son's, had come up to Northern New Hampshire to walk with me. So we, we this was just north of uh, it was around Intervale, just north of North Conway. 
and the bear came right out of the woods, right over there. It was 302, so it was still two lanes, you know, mm-hmm. one in each direction. It was highway. But it, it was highway, <laughs> yeah. And the bear came out, but the thing that got my attention, it stopped right in front of me. I would have had to bump into the bear to keep going on the straight line. And I thought, I, I thought to myself, and I said to John, uh, uh, it's lunchtime. I, I hope we're not lunch. <laughs> and and uh, right, you know, within seconds, two more bears, oh. her babies, but they, they were, they were like middle school age. They weren't, little, they weren't little tiny cubs. They were half the size as she was. Came right out. It was like when she saw them, she kept going, and you know, so we were safe. But that was that was a little scary. Can you talk a little bit about Truck Angels for people that haven't mm-hmm. seen it? I don't want to spoil the whole yeah. entire uh, documentary, mm-hmm. but they were a very important yes. part of the trip. My dad's little sister, my aunt Libby, climbed the Appalachian Trail back in 1999, and I think that's when I first started hearing about the words trail angel sure. or trail magic, and that's when you know people along the way either leave things or maybe help the hikers in one way or the other along the, the, the way. So we had sort of adopted that term for um, a couple of people that would walk with him. Most of the time he was alone, and that was important to the story because Israel would, mm. we assume, was alone. Sure. So that was important. But there were three trek mm. angels that helped. And sometimes it wasn't walking with him. It was actually just helping run in the car so I literally could maybe yeah. set up my camera and right. <laughs> try to be planful. The great thing about that is there's so many there's so many things that happen along the way. Like literally every mile there was a story or more stories and and it was hard in the editing process to not wander off on some of those stories. Sure. But you know, but we thought like it's it's life, you know, you're always moving along and there's always stories. So I couldn't stop and really hunker down right. into one subject, even like the bear. I mean, I would have liked to have built that out a little bit, but instead I kind of threw it into a montage of, oh, by the way, he's yeah, not my no, bear. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's also true with every, every piece of this about Franco-Americans and French-Canadian and our legacy there were so many things that I learned or we experienced mm-hmm. along the way that I thought was fascinating, but I couldn't hang out in the film with the subjects for very long because, again, it's like about movement. It's about migration. It's about, you know, just keeping on, keeping on. So, you know, things that I found fascinating about, like I, I grew up Catholic. I sure. went to Sunday school all the way through. Yep. Um, I had no idea, though, that there was a thing of, Irish Catholic and French Catholic and it was a really big deal for, for sure. a yeah, lot of our yeah. generations there was a difference and Absolutely. there was and yeah. not only difference but like disputes and yeah. I had no clue and yeah. so that was something that I found really fascinating but I couldn't really dive into it even though my great uncle his uncle that he's named after was a Catholic priest and grew up in New Hampshire but actually went back to Canada right to for his life and and um and that's another story in the film but um there's so many things i learned along the way that about myself that i had just no idea even though i felt like i was somewhat in tune with that part of our inheritance i thought you did a good job uh mixing in the stories that you did you come across someone walking their dog at one point and you you just talk to them for a little bit you you go to the farm that 
you believe Israel stopped at, mm-hmm. and you talk to them for, and it's and it's just like a couple minutes, but it just adds to the atmosphere. And you were talking earlier about having other people connect to the film. I connected to it. I feel on our way here, I was I kind of feel like I know you guys a little, you two a little bit. And when I heard your voices, I was I've, I've watched it a couple a few times. Well, so, guess what? That's what's going on around this podcast community now because your voices were already so familiar to me. I already felt like I knew, and from our correspondence, yeah. it's so the power of voice it's is me, so right? yeah. it's really massive. I mean, it really matters. And um, so again, more kudos for you too. <laughs> and and Tony, you said you weren't a filmmaker before, but it it does not show in this. This this was fantastic. I thought it was well edited and I loved it thank you can you talk about did you just learn as you went along I did I I um my background is I have a weird skill set (laughs) (laughs) we won't we won't we won't won't dive into all of it musician yeah yeah I I mean I love stories and I love storytelling and and um there are so many great resources online you can get to and around the Franco-American community. I think once you do make those connections, sure. I mean, David Vermette reading and James Mayall, the, the two that are in the film, um, I learned so much from those two. And then, you know, being at the Franco Center up in Orono, um, I, I, I have not been to the Resource Center in Manchester, but um, I have to say Biddeford, even though... I didn't grow up in Biddeford. When I first started working on that this film, it was in a really transitional time in my life personally. And I remember one day going down and to talk to a, a teacher in the Biddeford school system. And she and I sat down and I was just having this huge imposter syndrome about like, you know, telling the story and actually making a movie. And mm-hmm. we're talking and I literally just started like tears just like started oh. streaming out of my face because I was just everything was overwhelming and I just didn't, you know, it was, I was just very emotional and she just kind of looked at me and kind of kept talking and I, I'd never met her before. <laughs> and it was like, she was just waiting for me to kind of catch my breath sure. and to get back into it. And I felt like Bitterford was this incredibly special place where the past and the present and the future are free to be together and they all inform each other and every single person I talked to in Biddeford was so supportive. It was like they got this more than I did. They got me more than I did. Sure. And I will always be so grateful for the people and that place. That's awesome. And walking in the streets to know that you know Israel was a brick maker for sure. 20 years. And the, some of the buildings that have his bricks in them are still there. He was influential in building St. Joseph's Church, which is still there. That's a testament to the people who built these things, but also the people that have maintained them Absolutely. and maintained traditions. And I feel so lucky that um, that's where Bitterf- that's that's where Israel ended sure. up. And now I feel like Bitterford's part of my story. And for years I didn't feel that, and now it it it, it just expands my sense of place. That's awesome. The story of this podcast too: <laughs> two people that just had an idea and wanted to share it. Jesse. It's the catalyst of this mm-hmm. podcast, and I'm learning the editing as mm-hmm. I go along, so I hope the, the quality's good. What's next? What what can we uh, look forward to you from for the future? 
I have quite a few things going on. I have um, a slight addiction for websites and domains. So at the moment, <laughs> I, uh, I have several going. <laughs> I'm going to say this in public for the first time, very first time. I don't know when this will air, but um, I have written a children's book. Very cool. And it's currently being illustrated by an amazing illustrator right now. That's awesome. And so it will not be out until the end of 2019. People will be able to learn more about at my imaginary hometown, which is online. It's called Malibu, Maine. <laughs> the website is there now, MalibuMaine.com. Gotcha. And, um, it, but it's going to be, it's, it's being slightly repurposed to look like a place that a children's book would live. <laughs> so okay. so um, it was an imaginary hometown I actually came up with when my mom was dying. That, um, she, um, she died between the trek and when we finished the film. So, yeah. you know, she didn't see the finished mm -hmm. film, but it's dedicated to her. And um, she actually died in the room right over there. So it's... I do a lot in her memory, and um, she she's of uh, Irish and English heritage, so... She's stubborn, too. <laughs> she's really stubborn, and um, I would suggest, I don't know exactly what it is, but that will be something in my future that I will um, probably, on Shibig Island, Maine, she had a lot of family history that she was so proud of and loved, so I, I believe that there'll be future stories there, sure. but she really is in, in a part of everything that I do. So she's in this children's book. I'm also working on a new documentary film called Shape of Love, 200 Years in Maine, where I'm looking at how love has been expressed in every county in Maine, uh, using love stories from going back to when Maine became a state in 1820 and pulling it forward. So there's a few different things going on. <laughs> Is there a website for the, the film? Oh, yeah. Um, there's shapeoflove.me. So that one's shapeoflove.me. The home road, as you mentioned, that, that has been around in existence for the longest amount of time. So if anyone is interested in that, learning more about that and the making of that film, thehomeroad.com. And is... you can buy the DVD there. You can yeah. also, there's a streaming option. Yeah, there I is. Believe. Yep, there's a way to see the film right online if you want to do it. Right and now. if you buy the film, I don't know if this is the case for everything. I can edit it out if it isn't. But you get an <laughs> autographed photo of Ray. Well, yes, I mean, <laughs> oh, yes, now we'll do that for everyone. <laughs> but, that. Oh, well, that, um, I actually, this is another thing that came of it, and we can kind of break this down offline or whatever, but um, when the film was all done, after working on it intensely, and then my mom dying in the middle of it, and all these intense things, it was like, all of a sudden, this thing is done. Sure. And so... As far as like my identity, me, me and this movie, we were the home run. We were tight. I mean, we were each other. And um, all of a sudden, one day, it was off in the world, and I was still like, uh oh. So it was felt like a postpartum. So I ended up thinking like, okay, what just happened? So I ended up writing this thing called the Home Road: Ten Good Lessons Learned from the Journey. So I actually haven't showed you guys that yet. Awesome. But, um, but cool. I'll send one home with you. Yeah. Can people get that? Or well, I, I. Right at the moment, no, but I might try to figure out a way to get it up online so That's people awesome. get, get it as a PDF or something like that. It's just it's just 10 pages and 10 lessons. And it was important just because, you know, the meaning, the, the film meant so much to me, sure. but 
it was like there was a lot of things I couldn't shove into the film, so I shoved him in this. <laughs> I like it. And Ray, just yeah. enjoying the retired life? Yes, very much. I, I, uh, <laughs> Go ahead, tell him. Yeah, I, I played golf when I was a caddy from age nine to age 15. And uh, and then basically didn't play for over sixty years. And uh, after Diane died in uh, two thousand sixteen, I was a basket case. But Tanya lives here, so she was my rock. But after about a year, or so I realized I don't I don't want to live alone for the rest of my life. So I started. Looking around and uh, <laughs> that one, sounds worse than it did. He's like he's like looking around in church. <laughs> well, and I, one Sunday after mass or the gym, yeah. Uh, one Sunday after tips. mass, this voice behind me. I was on my way to the car, and she said, "Do you play golf?" And um, I said, "No, I hate golf." And, uh, it, it was a lady that I'd known for 40 years whose kids went to school with Tanya and Peter. And um, so now I'm playing golf. <laughs> and, He's playing a and, lot of golf. And, yeah, and I, I'm happy to say I'm in love again. That's awesome. And I'm trying That's awesome. To, I'm trying to get into her new film. <laughs> At least a cameo. Well, you're a star already. Yeah, I mean, the star power. Why wouldn't she want you on the, in the film? So, but it, it is pretty so, funny. He literally does lobby. Like, we'll be on the way to a screening or something together in the car, and he'll be like, can I tell you about how I feel about love? And I'm like, okay, the camera's not on. We're not the crowds recording. love me. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So the com. Yes. TheShapeOfLove.me. Yeah, or just shapeoflove.me. There's no the in front oh, of Oh, okay. One. Shapeoflove.me. And Malibu, Maine. Dot com. Dot com. Children's book out this... Later this year. Later this year. All these links will be on our website, in the show notes. I can't thank you two enough. It's We say this for, for other things, but if you're listening to this podcast, the home road is required viewing. It's... We, we usually send you to websites and blogs. You don't have to read this time. Watch <laughs> this film. It is amazing. Stream it. Buy it. I can't say that enough. I can't thank you two enough thank either you. for having us in, in your home. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.
This program is recorded at the Conquer TV podcasting studio. The views and opinions expressed during this podcast are not necessarily those of Conquer TV. The producer is solely responsible for its content.